Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from March 21st by Pastor Randy, titled, Who's Your One? Part 4. Alright, so for the past several weeks, we've been focusing in on who's your one. And it's the idea that God wants every one of us to have a one. And that one is somebody who we are praying for, somebody who we are discipling till they can become connected to God. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about things that keep us from having a one. What are some of the things, the ideas, the ways we think, the way we go about life that's stopping us from having a one? And today we're going to look at that through a couple of verses in Romans. Let me first tell you a little bit about the letter that Paul writes to the Romans because it's different than other letters that Paul writes. When Paul writes these other letters to the churches, he's writing to churches that a lot of times he helps start in cities where he lived for a couple of years. And so when he writes a letter back to these churches, he's just reminding them of things that he's taught he just maybe addressed a few issues that came up that, that he heard that came up that they had. And, and for most part, it's just saying, hey, you guys remember what I said to you. But when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he's never been to Rome yet. So that's why Romans is such a long letter. He's laying a foundation just like he would have. He's telling the Romans what he would have said if he'd have been there in person and laying the foundation of Christianity. So he starts off in, in the book of Romans saying, hey, guys, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Get to know me and who I am because he hasn't been there. So this is what he says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. So let me tell you about myself. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So Paul saying, let me tell you a little about me. When I meet people, I have a choice on what I can talk to people about. I can talk to people about philosophy because I've been educated. I know all the, the, the latest philosophers and what they believe. I could talk to people about philosophy. I could talk to them about the Jewish law because I was a Pharisee and I know the Jewish law. I could talk to them about making tents because that's my occupation. That's how I support myself is I go around and making tents. Or I could talk to them about Jesus. Let me see. Any, many, mighty, mo. What am I going to talk to people about? He says, no, I'm under compulsion. I had to talk to people about Jesus. I had no choice. He talks about that in 1 in Corinthians 9 where he says he's compelled or, or under compulsion to do this. But what I need you to know this morning, this wasn't just Paul. When he's talking about having this compulsion to speak about Jesus, it wasn't just him. Look at this verse in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Now, who do you think that's referring to? You think that's probably referring to the apostles. But look what it says three verses earlier in verse 1. Saul agreed with putting him to death on that day. A severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So it wasn't the apostles going around talking about Jesus. Jesus. 
It was everybody else in the church. In fact, it was to the point where it says later on in Acts, everybody in that whole region had heard the gospel. Now, do you realize the barriers the gospel had to cross for them to be able to say that? In Acts 19, where they say that, it had to cross you know, language barriers, geographical barriers, social barriers, just political barriers. A lot of the barriers it had to cross where everyone in that whole region had heard the gospel. What if that could be said here? Everybody in Anchorage had heard how you had to be connected to God through Jesus Christ. Didn't say everybody believed, but everybody had heard. So what I need to get across to you is that having a one... It's not just for the, the preachers, the missionaries. About, this is for all of us. This is what they did in the first century. When the gospel, right after the resurrection, this is what was going on. So let's go back through those verses in Romans chapter 1 that we just read earlier. And let's take them apart to see things that keep us from having a one or, think, or ways we have to think to have us a one. All this stuff where Paul is just introducing himself to say, this is why I, when I ever go somewhere, I've got a one and another one. Another. Paul has all these ones that he's trying to bring to be connected to God through Jesus Christ. So let's go back to verse 14 of Romans 1. He says, I'm obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. He says, I have an obligation. Now we know about having an obligation, especially in our society. We probably know more about having an obligation than any other society that's gone before us because we have mortgage payments to make, right? We've got utility bills to pay. We've got car payments to make. We know what it means to have an obligation. So let me ask you this. Whenever you send in that check or do that auto pay or however you pay those bills, do the people in recounts receivable throw a party when they receive that? Oh, I can't believe so-and-so paid their bill this month. Is that, I hope they don't do that, but maybe, maybe they do. Who knows? Do they throw a party when you do that? Do they send you a thank you card when you make a payment, even a computer-generated thank you card? No, because it's just a deal, right? That's just what you're supposed to do. It's your obligation. And we think, oh, those people who are got, oh, got preaching about Jesus everywhere, they're super Christians. No, they're not. That's just a deal. That's just what's expected of every one of us. When it talks about making disciples, it's expected we all have a one. Now, what if you only decided once every couple of months or once a year or, or once every couple of years to go and, and pay those bills. You would never think about doing that because not only your sense of obligation, but your sense of warmth. I need gas coming in my house to heat my house. I need a house to live in, so i got to pay my mortgage payment. I need a car to drive. Those things drive you to doing that. You wouldn't think about just taking care of those obligations once every six months or something. No, because those needs, you have to have that. But so often, though, in the Christian life, we can go for months, for years, for decades, and never have a one. But Paul says, here's what you need to know about me. For me, it's this obligation. I, I, I feel this need to do that. And when he says obligation, this is, there's different types of obligations. This is not the obligation like your mortgage payment because 
Nobody finds delight in doing that. In fact, you throw a party when you have no more mortgage payments. It's like a burden, right? So it's not that type of obligation. It's a type of obligation where something's been entrusted to you to give to somebody else. And it's been entrusted to you, and you have that sense of obligation until you give it to somebody else. Think of it like this, because this happens quite often, especially around Thanksgiving and Christmas time. Somebody comes to me and they go, Pastor, here's a $50 gift card, or here's a $200 gift card. Give this to a family in need, or give this to that single mom over there. Well, now I have an obligation. Now, I'm happy to do that. It's not my $200 to doing that. I've been entrusted with that gift card to give to them. But I'm happy to do that. It's going to be a blessing to them. But until I do that, I have this sense of debt, this obligation. And what Paul is saying is that we have this sense of We've been entrusted with the gospel. And we have an obligation to always have a one. To always have somebody that, that we're sharing with. And this, so our attitude shouldn't be, God, why are you making me do this? But God, what a privilege to be able to do this. We just don't live with that sense of obligation. Listen to, to this out of Hudson Taylor's diary. He was a missionary to China in the late 1800s. He says, and in fact, you know, you go there now, you talk to Christians and who, have, who have parents and grandparents. They go back to Hudson Taylor's ministry. But here's what he says in his diary. He says, I besought him to give me some work to do for him as an outlet for love and gratitude, some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying, however trivial, something with which he would be pleased and that I might do for him who has done so much to me so much for me shortly after that he left to go to the mission field so he sees it as a privilege not as a chore and, and, and let's back up to this he says i'm obligated to who to both the greeks and the barbarians you know what that means those who can relate to and those who he can't we saw this in jesus ministry jesus didn't say well i'm just going to go to middle-aged galileans with the messiah complex People just like him. No. He went to tax collectors. He went to prostitutes. He went to Samaritans. He went to Roman soldiers. Back in 1968, Bobby Kennedy was vying for the, the Democratic nomination to be president. And so he's campaigning in the summer. He's going through Spanish Harlem in New York. He'd done this several times. So he's been, it's a, it's a hot, humid afternoon. afternoon. He's covered with, with sweat and, and dusty and dirty. And the guy who's his guide, who's guiding him through Spanish Harlem, he says to him, why do you keep doing this? You're a man of privilege. You're, you're wealthy. Why do you keep coming here? And what he said was classic. He said, because I found out something. I found out that my world is not the real world. See, so many of us, what we tend to do is only focus on our world and we want to block out everybody who has a different world from us, a different moral world, a different religious world, different ethical world. We want to, we want to push them out. So suppose you're at a restaurant 
Let's say you go to some place to eat today and you're, you're at a restaurant and you sit down at the table and you're waiting on somebody else to show up. You got somebody that's going to meet you there. You know, it could be your spouse or a friend or whatever is going to meet you at the restaurant and, and, and you're waiting on them to show up and you're sort of just staring at your phone. But there's this table next to you. There's like three or four guys at that table and they're talking about their lifestyle. They're talking about just, you know, their past week. And you know you probably shouldn't be eavesdropping, but you do. So you're pretending to look at your phone, but really you're listening to them. Now don't pretend like you've never done that before. So you're listening to them. And here's what they do, what they say, every one of them, just to a person, a summation. They get up, they go to work. After work, they find a party to go to and find somebody to sleep with. Next day, get up, go to work, find a party to go to, and find somebody to sleep with. And that's their routine. So as you're listening to that, what's going through your mind? Is it, number one, I wish they understood how much God loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. Or is it number two? Man, I can't imagine what it would be like just trying so hard to fill yourself up and getting empty, coming up empty every time over and over again. I'm so glad God's grace found me. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that would be me. Or are you thinking number three? Boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. They're just a bunch of sleazeballs. So what's going through your mind? Because our temptation is to want to put a wall up between us and other people who are different from us morally, religiously, or, 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 or socially, or, or any other way. We want to put a, a wall between us. What is that wall for you? What's that wall standing between you and who? For some people, that wall stands between them and, and religious conservatives. That just makes their blood boil. Or religious, you know, lit, or not religious, socially, politically conservative people. Or maybe it's politically liberal people that, that, that they just can't stand. For some people, it's the person with the, with the tattoos and the piercings from head to toe. Everything's pierced, everything's tattooed. You know, and, and boy, that's that person who, who they just want to put a wall up against. For some people, it's the graying senior who's so out of touch in this world full of iPads and, and instant messaging and, and all that stuff that I'm out of touch with and those type of things. For some people, it's people who are just different religiously. You know, it's the Muslim, it's the Mormon, it's the Hindu, it's, it's the Buddhist, it's the, uh, the Jewish, the the. the I don't know, the, the, the one who just has a new age approach to life. For some people, it's the HIV positive person. But remember what we said a couple of weeks ago. Every person you lay eyes upon is someone for whom Christ died. And what we need to do is realize they're so precious to him that Christ died for them. And instead of taking that plank out of our eye and using it to build a wall between us and them, we need to take that plank out of our eye and use it to build a bridge to us and them. Because if your view of God is anything different other than God loves that person, wants to have a relationship with them, you have a wrong view of God. God loves people. He loves the frat boys and the girls gone wild. He loves the... the 
the special needs kids and the kids with two parents and the, the, the drug dealers and the ones who are just hoping another day to stay clean and sober. He loves the, the, ta- the, the tattoo parlor owners and the factory workers and the meth dealers. He loves the one whose families are falling apart and the ones who are just pretending they have it all together. See, if our God isn't a God who loves everyone everywhere, then he doesn't love anyone anywhere. And then here's what we, come, what we see next in Romans. So I'm eager, eager. I count it as a privilege to have a one to share with. And then he hits this other part that keeps so many people from having a one. The next verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. In other words, to sum it up, he's saying we have a debt that is to be carried out without shame, but with joy, with eagerness, because we know the power of the gospel. Or let me put it another way. You overcome the shame when you understand the power. Now, there are two ways to talk about shame. One is a shame that comes from feeling guilty. You know, I'm guilty, so I'm ashamed. But there's another type of shame that that kind of comes from being embarrassed. You're embarrassed because somebody sees something that you didn't want them to see. You have an embarrassing moment because something has happened. And what makes that embarrassing moment embarrassing is because somebody else sees it, right? If nobody else sees it, it's not that embarrassing. So you're walking down the sidewalk and you trip and fall and you look back and you just trip and fell over your own two feet. What's the next thing you do? You look around and see if anybody else saw it. If nobody else saw it, it's okay. You get up and walk on. But if somebody else saw that, what do you do? You go back and you pick up the imaginary rock, you know, put it out of the way to pretend you're moving something so nobody else will trip over it. Now, am I the only one? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> All right, some of you are with me on that. It's the same thing you do when you rip your pants or you spill your drink or you shoot an air ball. You know, you shoot an air ball in your backyard, no big deal, but you do it in front of other people? Oh, oh yeah, you know, so you do something because that becomes embarrassing, Right? That's, that's just the, the way that we are. Now, what Paul is addressing here when he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, he's addressing a church that knew, especially knew, being in Rome, how embarrassing it was because the gospel was so countercultural. Rome was a very polytheistic culture, meaning they worshipped a whole lot of different gods. And it went like this. They go conquer a nation. And, and, and that nation would worship their own little gods. They would say to that nation, look, you can continue worshiping your gods. You just need to throw one more in there. Just throw the emperor in there and you'll be okay. And they're saying, fine for us. You know, we worship a lot of different gods. Adding one more is not a big issue. But not only was it a very polytheistic culture, it was a, a very hedonistic culture. It'd be hard to overestimate the amount of sexual immorality that was going on in Rome. And when you have such a hedonistic culture, you only value the people that bring pleasure to you. So all of a sudden, the, the elderly, 
You know, they're, they're ostracized, they're pushed out, and then the sick, and then the, the, the handicapped are, are pushed out. Then there's, there's this idea of infanticide, and, and child abandonment's a big issue, because you only value the people that bring you pleasure. That's the way it was in Rome. And then along come Christians that what they're preaching and what they're believing is so countercultural to that, that, that they, they get in this culture and they're expressing these things and it's real easy for them to be labeled as just intolerant prudes. How could you? So when it comes to, to, to having a, a, in this polytheistic culture, they come saying there's just one God. Just one. And now it's culture that's so tolerant of everything else suddenly is not tolerant about that anymore. It was just so different than the life that everybody else was living around them. You add on top of that, they were first-generation Christians. They didn't have a faith that was passed down from their great-grandparents to their grandparents to their parents and to them. They were first-generation Christians. And so they knew what it was like to be labeled somebody who's just so weird, so out there. Somebody who's drunk to Kool-Aid, to, to feel ashamed, to feel embarrassed. So they know this temptation to sort of water things down, to make it more palatable. To make it where, where it would sort of try to fit in more with the culture. So imagine this. Imagine you're a famous person and you get invited on this talk show. But before you come out, before it's your turn to come out on this talk show, before that, they bring out this, uh, say, just a homosexual couple. And they talk about, you know, how, how beautiful it is to, to have this love for one another and how they're so glad that they're not judged by who they love. And, and it's, it's just, you know, this that or any other type of immorality uh, but that especially and, and so the audience is you know they're clapping they're cheering everything else and then they leave and after the break now it's your turn to go up and, and the, the the talk show host knows that you're a christian so they ask what do you think about the the couple that, that came on before and, and the homosexual couple how does your faith intersect with that and all oh, the temptation is just to want to you know because i don't want to be booed and you know, i don't want to do this. so yeah i just we just try, I just try to love all people, you know, or something like that. But see, that's, you feel the pressure of that. You feel the pressure that's on. And that's what whole denominations went through last century. So we got all these churches that say, look, we don't want to be so different from the world around us. Let's go ahead and, and, and accept homosexuality and, and put our stamp of approval on it. So now we have leaders who are homosexual. Now we fill our church with people who are homosexual. And, and, and let's... Do the same thing with other types of, of immorality. Let's just do away with the first six chapters of Genesis and just get rid of them so we can fit in with everybody else. And the moment they try and get rid of that stuff in order to be relevant, the moment they do that, they become completely irrelevant because they're just teaching and preaching what everybody else is teaching and preaching, what the whole culture is saying. Think of it like this. We've made you know, lots of trips to China. And the one thing that we would do a lot of times while, while we're over there is take an afternoon and do souvenir shopping, which was fun the first year or two, but I came to, ugh, no, not that. Let's do anything but that. Because here's, here's what happens. I mean, this is the same every year, and it's the same stuff that 
all the years that, that we went there. You would go into a souvenir shop. Let's say the souvenir just had a bunch of trinkets in it, this souvenir shop or this shop in this outdoor market because house works over there. They would have a lot of cities, they call them bird and flower markets where you have all these vendors together. Think of like a giant flea market, okay? And some of them are enclosed in a building, and some of them are just open air and, and that type of thing. But, but it's the same thing. One of them would have just trinkets. One of them would have dresses in it and just be a dress shop. And the other one would have just, you know, maybe outdoor gear or something like that. And then they would have uh, uh, fish and turtles and, and birds and, and things like that. But here's what you do. Here's what happens. You go and this has trinkets in it. And then a dress shop, and then this shop. Then you go to this other one, this other trinket shop down here, and you go, wait a minute, is this Groundhog Day? Because I just saw all this stuff. It's the same stuff I saw in the first one I went through. Not similar, the same, exactly the same. And you find this out when you're over there. If you go to a dress place and you go, no, it's all the same stuff, all exactly the same. And then if you find a shop owner that can speak a little bit of English, why don't you try selling something different than those other 10 shops I've been in? Well, why would we do that? That's what everybody else was buying. Then you go, well, the reason they're buying that is because that's what people are selling. If you will sell something different, they will buy something different. Well, I don't want to do that because that's what everybody else is buying. And so shop owner, let's say there's, there's, there's 89 shops in this open area and then shop owner number 90 comes in to put his shop up and he looks down the line and says what is everybody else buying well i think that's what i'll sell and immediately he becomes irrelevant and that's what's happened to our church in fact to christians as a culture we start just talking like the whole culture around us is talking and immediately we become completely irrelevant we're just trying to sell what everybody else is selling and Paul, in introducing himself here in these verses, he said, no, 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 what we have is different. What we have is a way to connect to the one God through Jesus Christ, a way to have our sins forgiven, a way to have a connection with our creator. And here's the thing. What's pushing this? He says, you've forgotten the power that's behind all this. July 15th, 1986. It's the All-Star Game. Now, that's the annual game they have in baseball between the, the greatest guys in the American League against the greatest guys in the National League, and they come together and play that one game. It's an honor to be chosen to, to be an All-Star, you know, and play that game. And it used to be meaningless, but now the winner of the All-Star Game, that if it's the American League, then they are the home team for the World Series. So now there's a little more to it. But anyway, I digress. Back in 1986, in the All-Star game, in the second inning, uh, Roger Clemens comes up to bat. He's the pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. He hasn't come up to bat in years because he plays for the American League. In the American League, the pitchers don't bat. They have a designated hitter. So he hasn't been up to bat in years. And on the mound is Dwight Gooden. He, the year before, was a Cy Young Award winner. So he's a great pitcher. That's why he's in the All-Star game, right? And so he's up there getting ready to bat, and the first pitch comes down. It's a fastball right down the middle. And Roger sees that. He backs out of the batter box, 
sort of gets a little smirk on his face. He turns to Gary Carter and he goes, is that what my pitches look like? And Gary says, you bet it is. Because for him, it was just sort of a blur. How could you even think about hitting something coming that fast? Now, he went on to strike out. But then he continued to pitch three scoreless innings. He became the MVP of that all-star game. But he said it gave him a greater confidence throughout his career, knowing how overwhelming a good fastball could be. And therein lies the reason that so many of us don't have a one. We forget that the gospel has the power to change people's lives. It has the power to come into somebody who may be so morally different, so ethnically different, so religiously different, and come in and change their lives. You overcome the shame, the embarrassment, when you understand the power. If you don't believe the gospel has the power to change people's lives, you're not going to be trying to go after one. Because you're going to be preaching something different than everybody else is preaching around us because nobody else has that message besides us, besides people who are connected to God. Now, when I say us, I'm not talking about Southern Baptists, us, or us, church, us. But us as Christians in churches all over the world to understand it's all about being connected to Him. And refuse to water anything down. Refuse to just try and, 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 and teach and preach what, what everybody else in the world is teaching and preaching. Because there has to be more to it. And Paul says, let me tell you what I tell people if I'd have been there with you face to face. The first thing you need to know about me is I'm not ashamed of God. I'm not embarrassed because I know it has the power to change anybody's life. It changed my life. It can change anybody's life. So, As we conclude, you've been entrusted with something. When you become a Christian and, and you, you experience that power of God in your life, you become entrusted with the gospel and you have an obligation to go find a one. Don't let our world intimidate you out of finding a one. Don't let, don't let the world keep you embarrassed for finding a one because it's so different from what the world is teaching. You need to understand that we have something that has the power to change people's lives. We have, as we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, Easter, the resurrection. See, we don't have an event. I mean, we don't have a philosophy. We have an event, right? Something happened in history. That's the foundation of everything we believe. So it's not that, oh, if you'll just believe this teaching, this religious philosophy, you'll be okay. No, no, no. No, our, the foundation of our faith goes back to an event that happened 2,000 years ago. And so when Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed, I'm not embarrassed, he's thinking, look, you know, I've got a foundation that nobody else has. My foundation of my belief of what's going on in my life is an event that happened when I met the resurrected Savior on that way to Damascus one day. So maybe 
you don't have a one because, you know, you haven't experienced that yet. Maybe you don't have a one because there's a sense of embarrassment. But Paul is urging not just like he's urging all of us to have a one. Because it's a privilege to be entrusted with such a powerful gospel that has the power to change people's lives. So has it changed yours? And if you haven't chosen the one yet, know, understand that you're trying to give them something that has the power to do what nothing else in our world can do for them. To change them on the inside. To take somebody who is spiritually dead and bring them back to life. You won't find that anywhere else. Somebody who's wrecked with sin to be given forgiveness. Somebody who is so far away from God to be brought near, to become his child. That's what we have. So let's let what Paul says here motivate us to have a one i'm just asking you to have a one because we talked about this for weeks about the reason why that's so needed in our christian culture today are you ready to do that thank you for tuning into the podcast of grandview baptist church in anchorage alaska for more information check out our website at gbcak.org